Hi, and welcome to the Women in Archaeology podcast, a podcast about, for, and by women in the fields. My name is Chelsea Slotten, and I'll be your host for the episode. On today's episode, we'll be chatting about Thanksgiving! Somehow, in five years of episodes, we've never done a Thanksgiving episode before, although we did do a holiday-themed Archaeology of Food episode last December, which we'll definitely be linking to in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Filling out the panel today are Kirsten Lopez and Emily Long. Thanks so much for being here, ladies. I always love chatting with you. And um, we love chatting with you. Yes. And since so, you're so far away these days. You know, I know, exactly. I'm so far away. And Thousands we're long of- due for a delicious rant. <laughs> we are overdue. Um, but before we get into that rant, and there will be rants, <laughs> before we carve into the meat of our Thanksgiving episode, we do need to remember and acknowledge that the land on which these historical events took place, as well as the entire United States, are on occupied lands stolen from indigenous peoples. And we will be discussing that um, over the course of this episode. But to kick things off, why don't we go over what people think they know about the first Thanksgiving. Uh, Emily or Kirsten, do you want to jump in on that? I would love to jump in because I have a, a goofy memory of second grade and we were doing a pageant. And granted, it wasn't like a grand pageant on a stage or anything. It was in our classroom, but we all got to dress up in costumes. So that was very exciting for me. And it combined the, the founding of America um, or find you know not necessarily the founding of America, but the discovery, as well as the Thanksgiving story, and it was very exciting for me. Like I said, I not only got to play Queen Isabella of Spain, I got to play a pilgrim. Very cool stuff, and I distinctly remember you know in 1492 Columbus sailed the ocean blue, and um, getting to be the queen and be like go find the land, and. Then being a pilgrim later and that it was very much that um, stereotypical story you'd imagine for any kids play um, mm-hmm. where it's just like this peaceful exchange of food and ideas and everything was hunky dory and yay food. The end. <laughs> and for a really long time, that's all I knew about Thanksgiving. And it really wasn't until I think high school with AP courses where we even lightly touched on indigenous history and it just it generally was never a focus of our curriculum and granted we were in ohio ohio does not uh, sadly have any um current uh tribes living within ohio um there are people who connect with the, the land and whatnot and federally recognized tribes that connect with that landscape but it was just never on my radar and it wasn't taught yeah, and just to be clear, that like very sterilized version of history is not the truth. As as no, much history is, um, you know, told by the the winner, mm-hmm. um, as they say. But I mean, there there is even debate about when the first Thanksgiving was. Um, oh yeah, and we do. And- you know, we're finding new archaeological um, indications of that all the time. Well, yeah, and even the first Thanksgiving wouldn't be what we consider today. It's just a harvest festival. Yeah, and it was three days. Yeah, and that's something that most folks had in that time frame. They would have just had a harvest festival. So it wasn't like this, and we'll be getting, I'm sure, more into it, much greater depth about the actual historic event. But it's just, it's funny to think what we think of in the past, how Thanksgiving would have occurred when it that was not the case whatsoever. And really, it was a long time, probably way too long until I actually learned that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in researching this episode, I learned things that I had never known um, because it, it just wasn't brought up. Although I do have to say there are more resources now than there were, you know, 10, 20 years ago, looking at, you know, you know indigenous perspectives on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving and, and what that means, which again, we will get into later in this 
in this episode. But let's let's talk a little bit more about that kind of original, what people refer to as like the first Thanksgiving, which really mm-hmm. was just like a three-day harvest festival. So that took place in, I believe it was 1621. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually a very like reflective and religious time, right? Like the pilgrims, the, the Puritans, like they were very religious people. Um, so Intensely there was, so. Yes. Um, they wouldn't have been fun to hang out with. No, there would have been a <laughs> lot of prayer. Um, probably would have been a fair amount of silence. They didn't, they didn't like dancing. They didn't like alcohol. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head whether or not they forbade music. I know at least one group did. But it wouldn't have necessarily been the, the fun family party atmosphere. Um, or awkward, you know, cousin Joe, who no one's seen in 12 years and has decided to show up family reunion. <laughs> because let's be honest, that happens. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and you have to talk with your awkward uncle about conservative politics and you're like no yeah but don't don't get me wrong i think there were probably plenty of awkward moments and <clears throat> over the shoulder kind of questioning of uh their neighbors selves either between uh the wampanoag and uh or the wampanoag and <clears throat> and the puritans themselves as well Oh, yes. Oh, and it should be made very clear. The Wampanoag were not invited to the Thanksgiving or like to this first successful harvest three day harvest festival. Because I think we have this idea that everybody came together and ate. Well, the Wampanoag were not invited. They just kind of were like, what are you all doing? And showed up and brought some deer. And so it's not necessarily an event of um, reflecting, oh, we've all come together. Yay. Um, It's very much uh, a very traditional harvest festival. And then the Wampanoag came to see what they were doing because they were shooting guns, essentially. Yes. And then the the Wampanoag did, as you mentioned, um, bring five deer. which in a, a letter from Ed, Edward Winslow at the time said they brought those to the plantation and just bestowed on our governor and upon the captain and others. So they brought food and they shared it, mm-hmm. but there was already um, a fair amount of food available. And and this was something to celebrate for the pilgrims because the previous winter, 1620, when they originally arrived in Plymouth, they arrived too late to plant for the year. Um, So that that winter was very lean. And some accounts talk about two to three people dying a day from Mm -hmm. scurvy disease or malnutrition. So getting to the end of a a harvest season and having enough food to survive the winter was really something for for this group of people to celebrate. Mm -hmm. And a lot of these early settlements have a a similar history in that the people who showed up were exceptionally ill-prepared for what they what they uh, ended up living um if you read about jamestown it's like it's surprising anybody made it um and really the the main reason that the puritans survived even that first year was that the wampanoag provided corn and show them how to plant it. And had they not done that, they would have not had a successful harvest in any way, shape, or form. And they they were shown a lot about the native species, things to eat. And had that not occurred, I, I would imagine, I mean, it's possible they would have had some kind of harvest, but I highly doubt it would have been as successful. And the population would have decreased dramatically because there just would not have been enough food. Well, and yeah. some of this... The historical sources do also mention that a lot of the seeds, because, you know, to be fair, I guess, to the pilgrims, like, they weren't dumb. They knew that they were going to have to grow food when Mm -hmm. they showed up. So they did bring seeds and things, but they weren't suited to the climate that they now found themselves in. So a lot Mm -hmm. of the, you know, seeds that they plant, that they brought and that they 
So it just didn't didn't turn up. Mm-hmm. Um, like wheat, barley. I'm trying to think of other traditional yeah. things they may have planted. Um, rye. But also, because, yes, they weren't completely dumb. They were also really terrible people. Um, <laughs> like, there isn't a good way of saying this. Um, the In that- hindsight, like, for their mores of that day, those were relatively, their thoughts, opinions were shared by many. So we should say that. Like, they weren't just like, ha-ha, we are bad people. But looking back, they weren't great. They really yeah. weren't. I mean, and there is also a reason they kept getting kicked out of all of the European countries. Oh, yes. yeah. They were, um, they they were a they colossal were, pain in the butt. There were lots of European countries that didn't really like them. Um, <laughs> I think somewhat justifiably. But yeah. particularly that first winter, when times were so lean, the area in Plymouth that they landed on, and where like, Plymouth uh, Plantation is today, is um, where the Patuxet tribe um, had previously had a, a summer camp. And they had been decimated by disease and died. Apparently, when the pilgrims showed up, there were bones scattered about because people were too ill and didn't survive to, to bury kind of the, the last people who passed away. Um, but they did go into graves of adults and, you know, children and stole the corn that was buried with them um, and other things to try and survive. Uh, so they were, I'm, I'm going to state it again, not nice people. Mm-mm. Well, they've already had that belief of the, you know, um, the uh, of the other not being uh, on the same par as them, not godly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was very much the attitude that the diseases that decimated like three-fourths of the Wampanoag uh, population before the pilgrims arrived they thought of it as like a godly pestilence that allowed them to then have the land and so it's a very cruel and very very cruel uh thought process in many respects and we do see this as very much kind of like the one of the earlier examples of desecrating graves in the United States of um, indigenous peoples. If you're tracing the history of why we have the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act um, of 1990, uh, we can see this this long history of desecrating graves, um, not only for food, but for what um, I believe what one of the diaries called sundries. And so they were taking the beads and other goods within there as well. So granted, yes, there was a desperation for food, but there was a lot of cruelty that came along with that. Oh, definitely. That act was only, you know, 370 years after the fact. Um, But definitely it's been great to see a lot of those laws make the impact that they've been making in recent years so. oh very much so definitely um and for those of you wondering why the wampanoag would be willing to help these people there are um several different kind of explanations for it one is that the um the area where they were uh was a tribe that had had died um, so it wasn't necessarily their land that they were on. Um, it has also been noted that the Wampanoag, um, were, found themselves in a fight against the Narragansett. I'm also going to say, I watched a bunch of YouTube videos about pronunciations of these names before coming on here, but I'm probably going to mess one up at some point. So I'm going to apologize in advance for that. Um, but the Wampanoag were facing pressure from the, the Narragansett on the west coast of their territory. Um, and they, you know, were looking for new allies and the pilgrims had guns, which would benefit them in their quarrel. Um, so that's one one reason. And another possible reason that I have seen bandied about is that in that particular tribal tradition, Giving is seen as a, as a sign of abundance. If you give to someone, there will always be enough. You don't need to hoard. So there's a practice of 
you know, giving back to the earth, um, whether that is, you know, after you uh, have clams, you, you know, return the clam shells into the earth. Um, but that by, by doing this giving, by being generous, that, that would be, you know, rewarded and that they would have abundance in return. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are kind of three potential reasons for um, why the Wampanoag may have had, you know, they talk about it as being like a, a lovely, peaceful time. I think kind of going back to what Kirsten said earlier, it may have been a bit more awkward with some some kind of careful, watchful wariness. Mm-hmm. Yes, we're not enemies, but we're not sure we're friends yet. Well, they've already seen, what, like a hundred years of um, warring, slavery, and whatnot from European contact. So I'd imagine seeing any of those sails on the horizon, I would be wary as well. Just like, oh no, who's coming now? Yeah. Yeah. They, like they knew white people uh, were not always their friends. But potentially to, to close out before we get to the end of this segment, um, I'm wondering if we want to talk a little bit about what else was on the menu. Obviously, we know five deer were brought by the Wampanoag. Um, but what other kind of traditional foods uh, traditional in the sense of at the time, not necessarily what we eat today, would there have been on the table? I think a lot of it would have been corn-based just because of the harvest type of harvest they had. And then it's my understanding they were able to grow enough of some type, I, I can't remember if it was wheat or barley, but they were able to make ale, which was considered safer than water. It would not have been the same alcoholic content that we see today with ales. Um, children no, we're looking at like it. one and a half percent, maybe. None of yeah, this it, like five, six, seven percent. It was literally safer than water for a lot of a lot of people it didn't um, carry the same diseases water carried exactly and so there would have been duck um turkey geese um none of the pies that we'd imagine today there probably would have been bread and probably just like a big spread that people would have just kind of pecked at um maybe had their own trencher plate bowl of some sort um and it would have just it would have been a sharing event um, but definitely not what we'd imagine, you know, a nice setup at the dining room table in each house. Um, it probably been a lot of hand food um, because a f- funny idea. So archaeologically, there are no forks at Plymouth. Um, no forks have ever been found because those were not considered pop- popular yet or useful. And I believe even the um, Puritans were like the king and the court uses those. They are they're ungodly. <laughs> So there would have been spoons and knives, probably. And they thought a lot, of, a lot of things were with... ungodly. Oh, yeah. They were... It's funny reading kind of um, different pieces about the pilgrims and a, a lot of uh, contemporary cultures at that time. A lot of like um, the English, the Dutch, the French were like, you guys are a bummer. <laughs> yeah, they were buzzkills. <laughs> There's a reason a lot of people didn't like um, Oliver Cromwell in that period after the English Civil War. And there was like a moratorium against, you know, dancing and music and fun. (laughs) Like, oh, man, not these people again. (laughs) Well, and one of the things I can't find the article right now, but the um, food historian or the the food archaeologist for... um, uh, Plymouth uh, settlement or uh, Plymouth plantation talks about um, how uh, it's very likely that the Puritans had uh, it, a way of serving food that wouldn't have resembled what we consider a sharing on Thanksgiving um due to the stratification within Puritan society, especially um, because of the loss of population and the, you know, there are only 50 approximately people. Um, So they would have really given honors to 
the leaders or those who were higher up on that social scale. And they would have likely been served things that were specially prepared or um, tastier. And it likely did not really resemble like everyone kind of digging in to the central central table situation yeah they're not they're not passing food around this is not a you know catch catch a can have fun sort of situation oh no 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 it was very hierarchical but which again makes sense in that time frame because it would have been hierarchical in some respect anywhere you would have gone yes yes so that does bring us to the close of our um first segment and i'm going to suggest that in uh, the brief intermission we have, you consider where you would sit in your family's hierarchy and what kind of food do you think you would get served at Thanksgiving if this was still the case. We'll see you after the break. Did you know that we have a blog? Check out the Women in Archaeology website for a variety of blog posts as well as past episodes. Interested in supporting the podcast? From the website, you can check out our Patreon account and learn about the different ways to help support the blog and podcast. We can give you a cool sticker in return. Again, thank you for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. On today's episode, we have been talking about Thanksgiving. More specifically, when was the first Thanksgiving? Um, Who were there? what myths there are about it and what's true, what food was eaten. During the break, I hope you all realize that you would have been seated at the high table uh, <laughs> and been given the best food that was Clearly. available. Clearly. Um, and moving forward in this segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about the archaeology of Thanksgiving as well as some of the arguments for whether or not this event in 1621 was actually the first Thanksgiving. So recently, the um, Plymouth Plantation, I believe it is, has been doing some excavations to try and find evidence from that event in 1621. Um, And as I'm sure all of you archaeological aficionados out there will know it can be very very difficult to pinpoint an exact event in the archaeological record unless it's um a battle a battle yeah a a plague you know with a lot of pompeii uh, (laughs) disease pompeii yeah it's it's pretty hard um so what kind of evidence are we finding archaeologically at that site? Well, what's interesting about Plymouth, I mean, and this is true for a lot of early settlements, they're underneath the modern day Plymouth. And it's interesting that for a really long time, so there's this wonderful, wonderful living history museum and associated museum um, called Plymouth Patuxet. And it's a living history museum. It showcases the way people would have lived, the pilgrims, at Plymouth Plantation. And then it has an associated Patuxet um, where they, in third person, um, descendant uh, groups are staffed that area and talk about how the Wampanoag would have lived at that time. So you get two unique perspectives and uh, they have an archeology span program. They've got collections. And so for a long time, this, uh, you know, uh, modern day representation of the past, it's not on the location of where this, these events took place. And it took a really long time. I think it was 2016 that they actually found evidence of the original settlement. Um, And so it's part of Project 400. And they had to uh, excavate at, is it Burial Hill? Yeah, which is is a bit alarming as a name. Like I, as an archaeologist, (laughs) would be very concerned about going to excavate at Burial Hill for a colonial settlement that I know was built upon a... Uh, Patuxet settlement that was wiped out by disease. Like, 
it's concerning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it sounds like at least, I mean, it's not great, but it sounds like it's called Berry Hill because it's a modern cemetery. <laughs> Or at least a Better. more historically <laughs> modern cemetery, at least from what I can tell from the photographs. Um, yeah, they were but saying cool. it was like 1840 is when it was first noted to be thought to be located on Burial Hill, which makes sense in the fact of like, it's a place where people are going to be digging regularly, but it's generally left alone. Mm-hmm. It is also a location where you're going to see sort of repeated things pop up over the years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not totally covered up by the rest of the modern town like under a street where you're not going to see it unless they rip up the street which is not super common um, unless you're like looking- similar with what places like Boston where you start a construction project you're going to find something <laughs> yeah exactly but what something <laughs> that is is its own thing um so yeah it's it's both kind of surprising and is a little like alarming mm-hmm. <laughs> to read about that um, although they didn't mention fine in the, any of the articles in granite maybe we'd have to read the archaeological report but they don't mention finding um human remains that is no true. and that's where i wonder if it's just parts of the um, burial hill or parts of the cemetery that haven't been used yet um, that they are excavating in because, you know, there's, you know, usually even with historic cemeteries, sections that aren't used or that are more like the, you know, entrance or, or the um, bodies were removed. I mean, that was done for a lot of parks. That's yeah. true. So that's, that's possible true. as well. But, um, with the with the project, I mean, I guess it's as close as you could possibly get to potentially finding a general location for the original harvest festival. They found um, the remains of two houses, yard spaces, and this is the big one, I think, the wooden palisade. So part of that wooden palisade, because otherwise, you know, maybe you found houses dating um, after uh, the original settlement because that area just grew and grew and grew and grew and so I think finding a segment of the wooden palisade helps date to that more we need this wall for protection yes. era. Yeah. and for our listeners a, a palisade is generally a fence or a defensive wall um, typically made of trees yeah, yeah. Wood. so posts. for any of you who might be Disney, Disney fans uh, and you've ever seen the Disney film Pocahontas, which was terrible for so many reasons. Uh, I loved it as a kid. I, I had no idea. I did love it as a kid. And now I watch it and I'm like, oh, I, I know more now. But the the big wooden walls that they build around the settlement uh, is a palisade. Yeah. Although, quick notation, the one positive of the Pocahontas film, they did work um, with language groups of the indigenous pop- current indigenous populations so that the language was correct. See, yeah. not everything is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> yay! Small silver lining! Just most of it. <laughs> the rest was terrible, but you know. It is what it is. But... <laughs> um, yeah, but, but so... What's cool, they also found a lot of trash pits. And archaeologists, we love our trash pits. We love our middens. They tell us so much about a population. And what's really cool is that the trash pits showed a huge mix of um, English slash Puritan and indigenous artifacts. So they had both um, Wampanoag pottery as well as um, imported German pottery um, mixed in. And so it does show a degree of exchange that um, interactions, granted, we know not everything was peaceful, but we know that there was enough um, personal and interpersonal um, uh, type of exchanges and interactions occurring at that time. And so it just, it's one of those unique windows into the past that like, we do know there was exchange occurring at some level. Right. So that Thanksgiving wasn't a one-off event or this harvest festival, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, Thanksgiving as a holiday wasn't really founded until, what was it, the 1870s? 
Well, there was a, if we want to transition to that, um, there was concern by the descendants of the Puritans in the late 1700s um, that were just like, oh no, our cultural authority is slipping away. We're no longer, you know, the top dog here in New England. And so it's like, we need to boost this idea that we're, you know, the pilgrims were the founders of America and we had this cool event. So it's like the seeds of it were in like the late 1700s. It was spin, right? They were oh, they were yeah. spin doctoring this event. Um, it's the American way. <laughs> yes. So that was the, the late 1700s. Um, apparently October of 1777 was the first time that all 13 colonies joined in like a Thanksgiving celebration was that, on the same day. This is a dumb question. Was that during the Revolution War? I'm going to go with yes. Okay. <laughs> um, I I will look at the, I don't, right, 1776. Um, oh, yeah. Well, I know the musical, 1776. Yeah. So uh, the <laughs> Revolutionary War was 1775 to 1783. Okay. Um, so so that would have been during the war. Okay. During the war. And I don't actually have specifics on that event of whether that was something that, like, the colonies were trying to do to – you know, promote the the war effort and independent identity, whether that was something that the English promoted, um, whatever it was, I kind of am guessing that it may have been the the revolutionary forces because in 1789, George Washington uh, proclaimed a national day of Thanksgiving. Um, again, kind of linked to this 1621, that, that spin that New England was putting on but there, there's mm-hmm. an interesting point that this may not have, in fact, been the first Thanksgiving that was held by a group of Englishmen. So there's um, some archaeologists from the University of Bristol and Tennessee who have been working at the um, Berkeley Plantation, hmm. where there was a short-lived English settlement that was from um, Gloucester, England, or Gloucestershire, because the English place name pronunciation is fascinating. But um, this earlier colony um, landed in 1619, and they'd been told that they should um, have like an annual Thanksgiving celebration to celebrate their safe arrival in the New World, um, which was held in December. Um, So they did hold that twice, um, but during their third year they were uh wiped out by a local uh indigenous group and the site was lost so they've been been working to find the site of the 1619 colony and they uh they think they found the site they found some um clay tobacco pipes they've done ground penetrating radar um the clay tobacco pipes, interestingly, do appear to be of Native American uh, manufacture, but really, like, instead of English, in, that is fascinating. Yeah, but of English design, oh. um, which have also been um, found apparently in Jamestown mm-hmm. as well. Um, People love their tobacco. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I think it also shows just how prolific just harvest festivals were regardless it's like it's what you do um, definitely and then emily I, mean, I think you found out about one in in florida that was even mm-hmm. earlier oh yeah before i get to the florida i just i want to know i'm wondering if one of the main reasons with knowing so much about 1621 the puritans were really known for their prolific writing they just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And they had diaries. They had journals, letters. They just wrote like crazy. And they also were very keen on the written word in terms of books and whatnot. And so I'm wondering if we know so much about this supposed first, you know, Thanksgiving is because we have writing about it, whereas we don't really have that for some of these other settlements. We do have writing. But so so interestingly for this um, 16... Uh, 19 sites. But, on... but they didn't, but then they all died. No. 
Well, they <laughs> so did all die, but there is a surviving inventory oh. of the goods that were brought to that site, which includes a distillation uh, still. So one of the things that they're looking for is like potentially a, a smoking gun is distillation still, which is unlikely that the Puritans would have had. Um, no. <laughs> but the, the archaeologist has said, Goodness, no. they're really hoping to find it and that they can do residue analysis inside of it if they do find it. Again, they haven't. Um, but there is this uh, fantastical idea that, you know, the truth of it has not been proven. Um, hmm. but that these colonists might have made a corn distilled spirit or bourbon. Oh, that is really cool. But again, all supposition <laughs> mm. from a, they had a still. That is really cool. But sorry, <laughs> I took us in a different direction. There's another possible, um, kind of first Thanksgiving in quotes, um, that could have occurred in Spanish Florida. And what's fun about that is I think a lot of times we don't really consider enough the Spanish aspect of our nation's founding. Like it's it's fascinating. Um, the Spanish, Spanish history um, of Florida, them coming up the coastlines and everything that unfortunately I don't think we're taught enough. The English um, definitely won the PR war. Oh, very much so. Yeah. But it's totally possible that 50 years prior to 1621, there was a mass of Thanksgiving um, put together in St. Augustine, Florida by Spanish explorer Pedro Menendez de Aviles, I believe, and 800 soldiers, sailors, and settlers, along with the local indigenous population, and they had a feast together. Um, and so it's just, it's it's interesting to think that here we have an even earlier potential Thanksgiving in quotes, but it also again shows like this was not an uncommon thing to have and that perhaps we should be looking at wider concepts of Thanksgiving and instead of focusing so hard on um, Plymouth in terms of that particular Thanksgiving. But you're totally right. The English did win the PR war, so it's hard to shift people's perspectives elsewhere. It is. And I think that idea of focusing on a wider Thanksgiving tradition might be really interesting to return to in the third segment. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. But going back to even just our idea of Thanksgiving, I think it's just funny that... Here we have one war, the Revolutionary War, where um, they were like, we need a day of Thanksgiving. And then during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln was like, oh, shoot, we need a day of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving! And then, so we declared, Abraham Lincoln declared a holiday during the Civil War for Thanksgiving, but based on this idea of the first one in Plymouth. And then um, it sounds like then there were troubles trying to figure out which day it should be. Is that right, Chelsea? Um, yeah. So George Washington proclaimed today of Thanksgiving. Uh, President Lincoln proclaimed that the last Thursday uh, in November will be a national day of Thanksgiving in 1863. Um, and then in uh, 1939 which is before the U.S. Had, had gotten involved in World War II, but World War II had started. Uh, so another wartime proclamation. Um, Interesting. I wonder if there's a theme. Maybe. Um, <laughs> SCR, you know, kind of decided that something needed to be done. Um, the, the proclamation in 1863 was not a guarantee of a yearly Thanksgiving. It was just a one-off. And then... Most presidents after that made a similar proclamation, but it, it wasn't always done. There wasn't always a Thanksgiving day. But so in 1939, um, FDR, Franklin D. Roosevelt, issued a presidential pop proclamation where he said he wanted the Thanksgiving to be the second to last Thursday of November because the last Thursday in November was on the last day of the month. And if you remember your American history, 
Um, the Great Depression started in 1929 and lasted into the late 30s. So 1939 was like the beginning of the recovery. Um, and FDR was really, really worried that a shortened Christmas shopping season between Thanksgiving and Christmas might dampen uh, or put you know the brakes on the economic recovery. So he said, we're just going to make it a week earlier. Um, and that was contentious, to say the least. Which is hilarious considering what's contentious today. Right? They're worried about the date of Thanksgiving. Um, I would love for us to be worried about the date of Thanksgiving. Like if, if that was the biggest argument that Congress was having, that would be great. Um, <laughs> so FDR makes this proclamation. 32 states um, decided, great, we'll follow through. You know, second to last Thursday of, of November, great. But 16 states were steadfast in their um, belief that Thanksgiving was the last Thursday in November. So in 1939 and 1940, because FDR did it again the following year, there were two Thanksgivings. So the president and 32 states celebrated it on the second to last Thursday in November, <laughs> and the rest of the country celebrated it the following week. And there were all sorts of issues with people wanting to go visit family in other states, and one of them was a holiday and one of them wasn't. So, you know, can you get time off work to go? Like, it was a mess. Mm -hmm. um, the battle lines were drawn. So in uh, 1941, Congress decided that they had to, to end this confusion. It was too much. <laughs> um, and that they decided to set a fixed date for the holiday. So on October 6, 1941, the House passed the Thanksgiving holiday bill that A, um, turned Thanksgiving into a, a repeated holiday. Um, and it also declared that it, Thanksgiving would be the last Thursday in November. However, when the bill went to the Senate, the Senate didn't like that and amended the resolution to say that the holiday should be on the fourth Thursday, which takes into account that some years have five Thursdays to forevermore increase the length, the shopping period of time between Black Friday and Christmas. Creating so the House did eventually Friday. agree to that <laughs> amendment, oh my God. Uh, although there were some arguments over it, and it was eventually signed on December 26th. So that is how we ended up with the fourth Thursday in November as federal uh, Thanksgiving Day holiday. So Super it, based on the first Thanksgiving, you know? Right? <laughs> uh, there's a lot to do with Thanksgiving that is... Uh, kind of absurd and beyond what mm -hmm. what we know. Um, but we've now established that Thanksgiving is on the fourth Thursday in November. Um, and we've established kind of the grains of the, the potential beginnings of Thanksgiving and harvest festivals. And when we move into the third segment, we will be talking a bit more about what Thanksgiving is today, how it is impacting Indigenous groups today, um, and where to... Look for resources if you want to find out more. Looking for other archaeology podcasts? There's so many to choose from. Why not try Archaefantasies and bust myths surrounding ancient finds and people? Or learn about the study of animal bones and archaeanimals? There's also the great Go Dig a Hole and the Ark and Anth podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Women in Archaeology podcast and all of these fun archaeology podcasts that are available on iTunes, Spotify, all over the place. Thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome back to the Women in Archaeology podcast. On today's episode, we've been discussing Thanksgiving. We've talked about when the first Thanksgiving may or may not have been, um, why Thanksgiving is the fourth Thursday of November, at least in the U.S., um, some of the myths people have thought about uh, Thanksgiving, and some of the unpleasant memories that are brought up by Thanksgiving for Indigenous people around the United States 
And for this third segment, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Um, it's also worth noting that when we use the term indigenous, uh, we're not talking about one particular tribe, and there are a variety of viewpoints and perspectives. We are going to try and present a variety of different perspectives, but it is by no means comprehensive. Um, so we will also be providing some resources in the show notes for you to learn more if you are interested. But it should not come as a surprise that for many indigenous peoples in the Americas, Thanksgiving is not necessarily a day of celebration because it reminds them of the uh, genocide that the indigenous people in North America were faced when uh, colonists came. And Emily, I know you did um, a bunch of research into that. So do you want to give a fuller picture? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, So I think this quote talks about this well. It's from Linda Coombs, um, who is a museum educator. Um, she's, Aqu- and I, again, apologize for pronunciation, Aquina Wampanoag. And she said, when the colonists came over in the 17th century, they had to get rid of us in one form or fashion or another, whether it is converting us, moving us, annihilating us, or shipping us out of the country into slavery. And I just wish people knew that because this history is not yet well known, but that's what it took for America to be what it is today and for people to sit down to have their Thanksgiving dinner. End quote. And I think that encompasses well just that there is a lot of um, pain surrounding this holiday. And I think for most people, we don't really think about Thanksgiving in terms of its history. It's a day people watch football. They get together a family. They watch the Thanksgiving parade. And personally, it's just the history that doesn't really factor in that much for a lot of folks like my family. But if we look at the history of it, there is a long history of colonialism, colonial oppression, racism, and so forth. And how can we move the holiday in a way to reflect and have it also be a time of um, reflection and empathy for those who may not find this holiday as joyful. And so one thing to keep in mind is that there is the National Day of Mourning. And this for, I, I believe, um, unfortunately, I can't remember how long the, the, the recognition of National Day of Mourning has been around. I believe, um, oh gosh, I'm, I apologize. I can't think of how long, but the day of mourning, it's a day of remembrance, spiritual connection, and as well as a, a means of protesting the racism and oppression of Native Americans and the continued racism and oppression that Native Americans continue to experience. And um, so on Thanksgiving Day, there are various groups that will go to Plymouth Rock and mourn and have it be a time of um remembrance and um in protest that what the day could be um oh and i've been given a note the 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 day of remember day of mourning has been around since 1970 and that also falls in line with many of the uh, uh native american movements as well for um, religious freedom for uh greater rights about that time frame so uh, um, and for me, with the day of mourning, I wonder if there is a way that there aren't mutually exclusive events for Thanksgiving and the day of mourning. How can we make Thanksgiving a a day of remembrance, reflection, along with a day that we nationally give thanks for being together, as opposed to it being like, the pilgrims and the Indians were together, hooray, type of thing. I'm not sure if I'm expressing that well. (laughs) Well, and as we've talked about, like it it wasn't the first event of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about um, the pilgrims until it was needed for drumming up national 
pride or other mm-hmm. nationalistic um, needs of the country that Thanksgiving was really called upon as a holiday until it was made by Congress in a very disjointed way, of course, as we saw, <laughs> um, to be of actually you know a, a, a annual holiday um so it's 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 got a long and weird uh history as a holiday and it is unique in its energy behind the nationalistic aspects of it i'd say mm-hmm. in some ways even more intensely than fourth of july um so it's it's also a made-up holiday <laughs> so we'll we'll do that one another day um, <laughs> but it's it does express you know both the um the need for the national day of mourning in new england that's established um but also as so many writings and things that we'll refer to um, in the show notes, there's a lot of just continuation of the Harvest Festival idea and people wanting to still have that as part of their tradition. So mm-hmm. you have both Native people and um, non-Native people today who might celebrate uh, Thanksgiving or rather not celebrate, but have a Thanksgiving day to give thanks to do just that. It's not necessarily always about a celebration per se. Um, and I don't know if even, you know, a traditional Anglo-American family necessarily celebrates quote unquote in a way that we might think of celebrating a birthday, Thanksgiving and Mm -hmm. the Puritans. It's about spending time with family and giving thanks for being present. Um, so just keeping that in mind, you know, as you read and, and learn more about uh, the complexities of this uh, holiday. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's worth noting that American Thanksgiving is different to, to the kind of harvest festivals that would have existed in Europe Mm -hmm. at the time. A lot of the things that we think of as Thanksgiving food, sweet potatoes, turkey, bill of corn, those are food items that were native to the Americas. Mm -hmm. So the modern idea of Thanksgiving really is a kind of a a blending of, you know, traditions and cultures uh, and foodstuffs from, from different cultures, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's also, it goes beyond just the Wampanoags, you know, showing up in 1621. One thing that I, I don't think is taught enough. Um, there was a, Toxic individual named uh, Tisquantum, who his name has been anglicized, I guess, Tisquanto. Uh, from those of you who are you know born in the eighties, you might remember there was a pseudo documentary on him in the nineteen nineties. Um, vaguely I remember, remember watching, watching it in elementary school. Yeah, but so so he was a part of the Patuxent tribe. He was actually kidnapped and sold into slavery. He was in Spain and then he ended up in England where, you know, they uh, learned English. They tried to get him to convert to um, Christianity. There's some debate whether or not he met Pocahontas, which again is not the Disneyfied version. There's like a whole other, a whole other episode there. Um, but when, when he came back, he found that his um, tribe had been wiped out by uh, an epidemic and he went to live with the uh, Wampanoags. And then he actually worked as a translator 
and almost an emissary between the pilgrims and the Wampanoags, um, helped set up, you know, early meetings. He lived with the pilgrims for a little while. He taught them a lot about what to plant, what to grow. Um, so, you know, the, uh, indigenous presence in Thanksgiving goes beyond people showed up and they had a nice meal together. Um, Mm -hmm. and I really think that that, that needs to be more acknowledged, Mm -hmm. I guess. Um, you know, and, and it was a man who was made a slave by, um, you know, English population. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is impossible to separate out Thanksgiving from those, you know, colonial factors and, and forces. So recognizing them, um, you know, having, having a day of mourning, realizing what it means, you know, I, I think it's probably truer to the original Thanksgiving such as it is than maybe what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've told, I've definitely been the person before at um, family holidays being like, just so you all know X, Y, and Z about this holiday and being told not to be such a bummer. But I mean, it's, these things need to be known. These things, I'm, I'd be interested in looking at curriculums today to see how much has been incorporated because education has changed drastically since I, I was in school and um, curriculums have gotten better and worse in different aspects. And it would be good to see how things are being taught differently and hopefully having a much more inclusive aspect to it so that we'd have both perspectives. What one would hope and that it's not like my pageant in second grade <laughs> anymore. <laughs> And I think that might depend on where you are in the country, because I'm Very sure those so. pageants still occur in some, um, n- not to mention certain certain areas of the country. Yes. States. Yeah. I think it um, also probably depends a lot on your teacher, because one thing that I found when I was doing research on this episode, because it, it is certainly not my area of expertise, um, right? I'm like the Viking scholar over here. Uh, we can talk about other people who made it to the new world, um, the Americas, but... Before Christopher Columbus. <clears throat> yeah, almost 500 years. Anyways, uh, not bitter at all that Christopher Columbus gets credited with discovering the new world. Like the people even hated him in his own years. time, so there. I know. Um, <laughs> Anyways, again, that is a rant for a different day. We have so many podcast episode ideas. Right? Um, I believe I have actually ranted about that on one of our previous podcast episodes, which we will find and link to in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the... Oh, where was I going? <laughs> oh, teachers. Teachers oh, that... Oh, uh... yes. Thank you. Um, in doing research on this, there are some great resources. There's a website dedicated to um, how Native Americans view Thanksgiving. The National Museum of the American Indian has resources for teachers, for families. Um, There was a a great website that had two um, pieces that were written by uh, a poem that was written in the 1970s. Um, it was actually what kicked off, or maybe the late 60s, it actually kicked off the idea of a day of mourning, as well as kind of a an opinion piece in a newsletter written by a different Indigenous woman who talks about how she um, does celebrate Thanksgiving, but uses it as an opportunity to teach her family about traditional foodstuffs. Hmm. Um, That's really cool. And kind of going through it in that way, but just presenting those, those two ideas of, of one indigenous perspective, this is a day of mourning, another indigenous perspective of kind of like we can reclaim Thanksgiving and turn it into something, uh, a teaching tool, a way to build, you know, recognition, acknowledgement. Um, so those, those perspectives do exist. Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of cool that more and more of that's coming out. And I, and I feel like it's a trend in many, many disciplines, um, especially archaeology. We see it in academia. We're seeing it in um, it just, overdue. you know, An overdue in, trend. in the education system about confronting colonialism and the effects of colonialism, not only on the way we study the past, um, but how the how we form history, how history is written and um, trying to combat and address the um, impacts of colonialism and how we view things. So uh, it seems like more and more, it seems like in the last 10, 15 years, more and more um, coming out about how to best address uh, the long history of colonialism and racism in connection to Thanksgiving. It all starts with the little ends, as they say. Yes. As, like, I like your story, Emily, of the your pageant because yeah. it's an, an impressionable memory. Oh and yeah. As a lot of people might think, well, you know, it's it's they're just kids and it's second grade; they're not going to remember anything. Uh, to the contrary, a lot of people form their well, not a lot of people, humans form. <laughs> their earliest sentiments, even if subconsciously about different topics or subjects mm-hmm. based on what they learned that early. And of course, they may not need to know or get all of the gory details at, in second grade, but it is a topic that needs to be continuously discussed mm-hmm. um, around colonialism, around Thanksgiving, around indigenous histories and colonial histories throughout their edu- like kids educational experience um mm-hmm. in my honest opinion but I yeah know, i would also great. say i think it's really important um to get kids to realize early that indigenous culture native american culture tribal culture is alive it's thriving yes. it's growing it's not this you know stuck caricature of the 1600s or the 1800s or you know whatever period you want to you want to pick it's mm-hmm. alive today it's real these conversations matter mm-hmm. they they have an impact because certainly a lot of what i learned was was stereotyped and you know i, I find myself thinking about um i think it was the second adam's family movie adam's family values where Wednesday and Pugsley yes. are sent to summer camp and the summer yes. camp does love a that scene. It's Thanksgiving um, pageant and Wednesday convinces all of the white children who are playing Native Americans to rise up against the pilgrims um, and, you know, stand up for, for what would, would happen. But the kind of stereotyping that Wednesday Adam is, is fighting against um, in a, in a roundabout way. I think that needs to continue. Not that we should be tying children to burning stakes or anything, which I think they did because it's an Adams family movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'd be really curious actually, um, on a, a side note to see how many kids who saw that movie in the early nineties, how that impressed upon them sort of the idea about what Thanksgiving is and because question things yeah, yeah exactly I mean Adam's family was really good at doing that and not to oh yeah um but I think that was something that I know a lot of people that I know that saw the film as kids it's it stuck with them and that mm-hmm. may not I'm sure was not intentional by the filmmakers I, I think it was. I don't know. Did a lot of subversion on purpose. Yes. I wouldn't put it past yeah. them. Oh, there's I'm, a reason, like, Nightmare Before Christmas, Adam Family, like, all those movies are, like, my favorite movies, and it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, but before we go too far down this Adam yes. Family route, we are, unfortunately, at the end of our third segments. So, no. um, Emily, Kirsten, do either of you have any, like, thoughts that you're just absolutely dying to get out there i would say um so my thought is just to check out uh all the resources in our show notes because we're going to put some really great uh teaching resources parenting resources 
cool articles and readings that you can rabbit hole yourself down in any of the topics that we've discussed on this episode. Um, and also see what uh, Thanksgiving themed or in National Indigenous Day themed or National Day of Mourning themed events that might be going on in your town or your region and what your local tribes might be putting on for awareness um, during the month of November, as is the month of um, Indigenous Heritage Day. So some things to keep in mind uh, for this month. And Emily? Oh, I was just going to say there's a, a lovely quote from the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me. <laughs> um, and it's, correctly taught, the issues of the era of the first Thanksgiving could help America Americans grow more thoughtful and more tolerant. And so the hope is the more we learn and empathize and respect and learn about indigenous cultures and the history of Thanksgiving and the other aspects of it, I believe, can help us become a better country. <laughs> yes. That's that is good. And I think that we could all use a little bit of tolerance and a little bit of being a better country. Um, and I would like to kind of echo what Kirsten said. You know, we can we can talk about um, the Wampanoag and the Patuxet, but there's amazing indigenous history and culture in the backyard of a lot of the, the U.S. So don't let your interest um, and your consideration end with Thanksgiving. Yes. Take it forward. Uh, and on that note, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to joining you next time. Awesome. Yes. Stay healthy, everybody. Yes. yes. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.